That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Liverpool's run of undefeated games continued this weekend thanks to a 2-1 come-from-behind victory over Spurs. Harry Kane got the early goal seconds into the game. However, a Jordan Henderson and Mo Salah penalty were enough to get Liverpool all three points. Arsenal threw away an early two-goal lead at home against Crystal Palace, ended up drawing 2-2. There was a shout for a third goal, but to no acclaim, and there's a lot of criticism coming to one Granite Xhaka right now. Christian Pulisic opened his EPL scoring account with a hat trick against Burnley as the Blues winning run continued. They took down Burnley 4-2 this weekend. Manchester City went to Norwich, got a 3-1 win. It was probably the busiest day of the year so far for a VAR referee. McTominay, Rashford, and Martial all getting on the score sheet for United in that one. Manchester City continued to chug along as they beat Aston Villa at home, uh, thanks to goals from uh, Raheem Sterling, David Silva, and Gundogan. And we have to mention Leicester City, who are third place in the table but set a Premier League record last Friday with a 9-0 victory over Southampton. Oh, by the way, that was away. It's the biggest road win in Premier League history, equaling the highest victory ever in the Premier League. Perez and Vardy getting hat-tricks in that one, and they were playing against 10 men Southampton, so that's worth noting. Welcome to the Ghost Gold Podcast. I'm Andrew Passaro. We got Alex Moss along for the ride tonight. No Javier, unfortunately. I'm not going to make an Arsenal joke here. We just couldn't line up the schedules. So, yeah. Alex, how yeah, are we, we doing? Doing pretty good. I, I understand for Javier. Got to get got to get them checks. Got to, got to drop the bag. Get the bag dropped for you. Uh, no podcast is going to get in the way of... Uh, good honest work so yeah um, I, I will try to channel some of the anger that Javier has imparted upon upon me over his, over his Arsenal team <laughs> at, so at later in the spot <laughs> so I sent that video that I made of him last year just like remember when I made that video and it was just him cursing about Arsenal and it was like just yeah like Spongebob I, uh, yeah. sound effects in the background yeah, so I sent that to somebody else who just started a podcast. I was like, yeah, you can like use this to like promote your podcast is why people should listen to it on like Instagram or whatever. I think we should just like bring that back because it's more or less the same thing. Like that I'm pretty sure that's everything that he would say today too about about Arsenal. But let's let's not let's not put the the, the horse before the cart. Let's talk about Liverpool Tottenham. Uh this was two one. Somebody had texted me, how do you feel about this game? And I think I might have said two one. Uh, Harry Kane, literally 47 seconds into the game. Jordan Henderson in the 52nd and a Salah penalty in the 75th. This was one of my uh, bets of the week. I had Liverpool Spurs both to score with Liverpool to win. So that hit. Uh, Alex also hit on the next game, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I was impressed with Spurs. I was very impressed with Gazaniga, who had an incredible game in the pipes for Spurs. Uh, about the 30th minute of this game, what was kind of a back and forth game turned into Liverpool just pushing and pushing and pushing to no avail. And then finally we broke through in the second half. I was still very chances, still chances yes. for Spurs though. Probably should the, have been two nil up. Yes. Yeah, probably should have been two nil up. And they, yeah, the son chance was incredible. was very good. I, I will say 
this game could have ended like 4-4. There were a lot of chances on both sides. Liverpool were very wasteful. Tottenham were very wasteful. But I was pretty impressed with Spurs defending. I was impressed with their pressing. They frustrated us a lot. And I'm definitely like, like, it's tough to get a quote-unquote moral victory for Spurs right now with the struggles that they've been having in the Premier League. But you just went to the team that's undefeated in the league. You went to their place where they haven't lost at home in the Premier League in like two years. It's it's like a year and a half. And you push, you punch them hard in the face. They beat you, but you punch them really hard in the face. If you bring that same energy to most other Premier League grounds, you're getting all three points. So whatever Pochettino did for this weekend, they need to keep doing. Now, in terms of Liverpool... Biggest thing I was a little concerned about was the midfield. It was the it's the Klopp's tried true midfield of late of Mill of uh, Henderson, Fabinho is the six, and Wijnaldum. And again, I thought Henderson was better today, but I'm just not seeing enough proactivity of let's bring on Ox, let's bring on Keita. Now I do feel like if they had brought on either of those players in this game, one of them may have like. This was a physical game, which is why I think either of them didn't get pulled on. But eventually, like, you can't be worried about them getting injured and you need to, like, let them go out there and do their thing. And that does concern me. But the the midfield creativity is starting to become an issue because if you can't get Robertson and Trent to do it, then there's no one to do it. Well, no. I mean, one thing that's been interesting that Klopp has done, not just in the Tottenham game, but... uh, the first time I really noticed it was last week against uh, United when United were doing such a good job of uh, pushing up onto those wingbacks and, and keeping Trent and Robertson a little bit deeper. Uh, is He's shifted uh, Henderson out to the right wing to play as not quite like a hug-the-touchline winger, but to play as like an, a wide center midfielder who's – job is like defensively to like pressure that area but when you guys win it back he's automatically in a wider area to play those first time balls in that he really likes to to money at the opposite back post and to like you saw in this game get in on the one of those balls himself from the opposite side and score the equalizer so it, it's it's a tactic that it's not quite specifically like a focused overload like what pep's trying to do to free up his wide players just pack more areas in that in that pack more players in that area and try to work someone in behind that way just from uh just overpowering in terms of numbers but it it is like an added uh threat on that right side that you can't just hug trent alexander arnold if you're an opposing left back you need another midfielder uh if you're defending against that to drop in and follow henderson into that space and Obviously, Liverpool have so many threats uh, still centrally uh, in Firmino dropping into the, to the midfield that like, it's not always that easy to just go follow Jordan Henderson. Most of the time, you're, if you're a defender, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, okay, Jordan Henderson can float into the box. That's not too big of a threat in, in, like, relative to everything else in that Liverpool team. But he was able to make it count this time. So I'm, I've been really impressed with how he's gone from not quite a pariah, but definitely a player that was somewhat of a question mark when you looked at that team sheet a few years ago to obviously the, he's still the captain throughout all of that. And now he's one of the most hardworking players and has probably like solidified himself over James Milner, who was getting a lot of those starting spots a lot of times before. I would totally agree. Uh, and yeah, and this was uh, this definitely probably a year ago is a game that Milner may have started. 
and or maybe a little bit or before that, but still. Uh, well, Wynaldum and Fabinho also weren't as like entrenched in there. They're, like, yeah. Sorry, the thing I actually wanted to say about not making changes earlier for Liverpool is that you guys were playing really well. Like, like you said, Tottenham had have had, had an improved performance themselves, but uh, you can't really point to any of those players and say they deserve to be pulled. Obviously, Henderson got the goal. Fabinho was his usual dominant self, like in the, the base of that midfield. And Wynaldum's Wynaldum. He brings you energy. He's going to be a menace. He's he's that N'Golo Kante roaming destroyer tackling role that's like it, it's hard to account for if you're an opposing team. It's hard to uh, to do anything about that player and stop him from uh, affecting the game. No, two notable injury reports from Liverpool. The first is that Joel Matip's going to miss the next six weeks. So why isn't Gomez starting that game? Sorry, I know, I, I know Lovren started, but Gomez was on the bench. Here's what it is. I think. With Gomez is like still return from he kind of got clattered a little earlier in the season and I think it had to deal with that knee injury going back to last year that made him miss all the time. I think he still hasn't kind of overtaken Lovren in training just yet. I'm like just speculating. I really haven't seen enough to say that I would agree with you. I would rather be start like starting Gomez, but I feel like Klopp is holding him back or trying to like work him in and get him game time. So that's one to watch out for. And if things continue, it looks like Lovren will be playing in that Manchester City game in two weeks, which is does not excite me because I would imagine... Like you'd rather have you, a healthy and match-fit Gomez sitting next I to would Van Dijk. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I would much rather have that. So that's one to watch out for. As the Matip's going to be out six weeks, so that's through the international break. Actually, you it's know gonna, what? I, I take it back. The way Spurs players were fouling, like they always do, it's probably good to leave Gomez out of this one. That's <laughs> let why him play against Arsenal on Wednesday or Wednesday. Right. Like, let that be a nice warm up for him at Anfield. Get the Villa game in, and then he's he's fit. He's got a few matches under his belt going into City, and he st- doesn't have half a leg from yeah, you know, and, Deli Alley cleating him at some point. <laughs> and I think that's also why you don't see Naby Keita or Alex Oxlade Chamberlain coming to this game either. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and the other one is Mo Salah comes off after the 85th minute. He looked like he was in a lot of pain. He's still reeling from that ankle injury from the Leicester game. Klopp basically said after is that he only has like so many minutes that he can go out there on this injury. So he comes off and in for like those last little bit, you saw Trent pushing. Now, I think Gomez had come on at this point, but you saw Trent pushing Milner too. Yeah, really high up that right wing. And it was Gomez for Salah, and it's like, could we throw out the idea that maybe we run Trent Alexander-Arnold just as a right winger if Mo Salah is injured? Is that really that crazy? Because I don't think it is. You're, just, you're having him play further up the pitch. He's going to do defensive abilities. He's going to throw balls across the, 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 the front of the box, and he's our best free kick guy. So you're saying we could put Gomez at right back. You put Mo up top at right wing. He's got a great touch. I don't think this is that crazy. He was a central midfielder originally. So I don't like I'm not saying I'd want to do it against Manchester City, but like against an Aston Villa, fuck it, why not? Like we're going to beat them anyways. All right, now you're getting cocky. No, no, I, I, I <laughs> it's not the worst idea. It's something that if if Klopp tried it for a couple of relatively easy games, I wouldn't I wouldn't like uh fault him at all for it i would think okay cool he's getting creative he's trying to create different looks to keep teams off balance that, that's understandable 
we're Tottenham fans for the next five minutes. Okay, let's what? let's say. No, so, no. Let's, Sorry, no. Um, uh, I quit. I quit the pod. I'm never coming um, back. I'm not ever a Tottenham fan. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, what do you want from me? I already said they looked better in these last in this game and that last Watford game. They've looked better in these two games than they did for the month before that. I mean, obviously, if you told me before the, these two games that they would have had one point from Watford and away at Liverpool. I would have I would have thought to myself that that terrible form had continued, but no, there's there's a spark, there's something still there to be done. Uh, Lacelso comes in as a sub, and Dombele kind of came in as a sub. They're starting to work their way back to fitness. Who knows how long they can keep it going? But th- there's something, there's some, there's definitely still hope there if you're Tottenham. It's the end of October. What do you remember the position United were in? in December last season and worked their way back up to a point where one one or two weeks they were in fourth place before they eventually fell out. It's a whole lot of season left for Tottenham, for sure. All right, let's move over to their uh, crosstown rivals or their, their cross-city rivals. Their, whatever, North London. Arsenal drew 2-2 with Crystal Palace. Socrates in the seventh, David Luiz in the ninth, Milivojevic penalty in the 32nd, and a Jordan Ayu goal in the 52nd. There was a Socrates goal disallowed by VAR in the 84th minute, and Jaco being taken off at the 61st first minute uh, to a lot of jeers and sarcastic applause, rips his shirt off, goes full LeBron in Cleveland before after they lost to the Celtics right before he signed with the Heat. I don't know if you know what. No, it was probably worse. It was somewhere between that and oh, it was, Kepa it was definitely worse. last year. It was definitely worse than that because LeBron finished the game for the Cavs and then immediately ripped his jersey off. Like yeah, and LeBron never told his home fans to fuck off. Also true. Also, <laughs> I'm sorry, true. but that seems to be uh, the major point here. I mean, there's obviously a huge amount of context to this, uh, and. I, and, and this, this, we could have an entire podcast about this game alone. There was that much yeah. that went on. Um, but it, it, above all that, your captain being subbed off with 30 minutes left in the game, uh, not a great performance, but by no means the one completely at blame for uh, losing a two goal lead. I mean, he had like he had the knockdown to Socrates for the first goal. So he's he's contributing in some way, obviously not a 10 out of 10 performance by any stretch of the imagination. It's obviously a tactical substitution with 30 minutes left in the game and having just thrown away your two-goal lead. So they bring on Saka, and the fans cheer when his name is brought up. Uh, it's something that happened at Chelsea last year with uh, Jorginho when he got taken off at, at one point. Uh, Xhaka reacted by walking. I mean, obviously there was 30 minutes left in the game, so still plenty of time. But the fans didn't seem to appreciate that. They started to cheer him more. He reacted by putting his hand to his ear and and like just like gesturing to the to the to the fans who were uh, throwing it all at him. And then, as he's taken off, it turns to booze. He rips the shirt off, and you can see him mouth "Oh fuck off!" Like, and fans in the stadium have all corroborated that he straight up told them as they were like yelling at him about how much of a disgrace he was. To, to the club that he's told them to fuck off and just walk down the tunnel. It's 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 a horror show at Arsenal right now. This this if this isn't rock bottom for Unai Emery, uh, not just the result, not just the performance, not just the 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 Xhaka, uh debacle. If this isn't the 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 bottom, this isn't the lowest point of his tenure at Arsenal. Then Arsenal fans should be worried because if he can get any lower than this, then 
you guys are they're really screwed uh, for their top four chances. There's like I said with Tottenham, there's still hope. There's it's so much season left. They're only four points behind Chelsea right now. Really, if you look at it like kind of from afar, it's not the end of the world. It just feels like it's been spiraling and getting worse and worse over these last couple of weeks. So. I've never been a Granite Xhaka fan. I, I, I think he's just given a whole bunch of Arsenal fans that I know who, who stood by him over these last couple of years. He's just given them a really easy out to just say like, oh, no, I, like, he's, he's, I'm, done, I'm done with him. It's, it's something that it's, it, it's not probably not really recoverable. Uh, that He could probably play for the club again, but I doubt he will ever wear the captain's armband ever again because, I mean, that, that like what would you do if – in the same situation, Jordan Henderson's been in this situation, like kind of, don't you think? Maybe not as bad as this, but he's been in a situation where he is the longest tenured uh, player or was the longest tenured player when Klopp came in, basically. Uh, he, he was the captain. He wasn't exactly lighting the league on fire, playing super well and really making himself like a, an unmatched name in the team sheet that he had to be in every week. Uh, but there's there was still like a, a section of fans who believed in him, and a big section of fans that did not believe in him, and uh, made it made made it be known whenever he was taken out or had a bad performance. If he had come out and rather than re, uh, react to that that like jeering and stuff by just being quiet, getting his, himself off the field and moving on, uh, if he reacted in the way Shaka had, Liverpool fans just would have been out on him. They would have. They would have terrorized not only him when he was on the field, they would have terrorized whoever the manager was who was playing him after that. So uh, it's it's pretty bad for Granite Xhaka. We haven't even talked about like the Arsenal performance yet It's or no, the VAR. I, I agree. I, I, I want to answer your question. Like if Jordan Henderson had done it, Jordan Henderson's probably not split as much as he was. How about circa 2016? Oh, God. If he had done it in 2016, I think Klopp would have just, like, benched him. Like, I think Klopp would have literally benched him, not put him in the next couple 18s, maybe sent him to the U23s. Like, we, like, Mamadou Saka was a fan, was a pretty much a fan favorite. Remember when he played for Liverpool? I don't. Like, he didn't show up on time to things for Klopp, and Klopp just froze his ass out and played other players, and it, and at times to the detriment of the football team. Like, Saka was a better defender than some of the guys that we had available at that time, but Klopp shut him down. This is a point where you need a manager not to come in and, like, just... I, if I was Emery, I would have said, we're taking... Like, I don't know if you do it right then and there, but you have to say in a press conference this week that you're taking away the armband. Like, you, you can't... Well, no, okay, I mean, like the on top of that... The first reaction should just be Emery grabbing Xhaka by the ear <laughs> and pulling yeah. him out into those press conferences with him and making him apologize to the thousands of fans he just told to fuck off. Like if a I'm, Chelsea I'm, player ever said to the home fans, I don't care if the home fans are jeering him. The same thing happened to Jorginho last year, like I said. And Jorginho's reaction to that has been like impeccable. And he's just kept, just kept on doing he what he's march? doing. Did he march off to the locker room for the rest of the game, or did he sit on the no, bench? He sat on the bench. I mean, thank you. It's, it's a different situation because Jorginho was in year one, and there's a whole lot of hate that was supposed to be directed at Sari that got left on him as a result because he was Sari's boy that was brought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So it's it's a different situation. Jacques is probably a bit more deserved uh, abuse because he's been there a whole lot longer at Arsenal. He was a thirty million signing four or five years ago, and he's mm-hmm. won an FA Cup and done fuck all otherwise. Uh, he probably deserves a bit of that reaction now, and I mean, I would agree with it. I, I'm just, I'm just. It's it's interesting to see the Arsenal fans have started to come around to it. Also, these last like this last these last couple months, basically. So. It, it, it's something that I, I wouldn't be comfortable like fully comparing, but regardless, Jorginho's reaction was what you would want want from that situation, rather than having that player tell his fans to fuck off. I mean, the captain, no less. Ugh, man, that's it's rough. Really rough. Maybe at this, Arsenal. Maybe this is the way back in for Lucas Torreira, who I was really bullish on at last year. He was one of the few Arsenal players that I said I'd want in the starting 11 at Liverpool. I mean, obviously, he'd be playing back up to Fabinho, but I'm a big fan of that kid's play, and I can't remember the last time I saw him on the pitch for Arsenal. So, Yeah, he's... Um, I don't want to talk as much about him. I agree with you. He's definitely he's a he's definitely a better option to Xhaka. He's probably a player that you would even say you should play with Xhaka to try and kind of uh, shield him a little bit. Uh, like, but then how do you fit both of Guendouzi and Ceballos into the team? The answer is you don't, and they're mm-hmm. both objectively better players than Xhaka. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I agree that 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 could work. But Arsenal went up two goals in the first ten minutes in this game, and I saw the goals. I thought to myself, they're both set pieces. That doesn't necessarily mean Arsenal are playing well. I wasn't watching it because, as we mentioned on the preview pod, there were three very big games, Man United, Norwich, obviously Liverpool-Tottenham that we just talked about, and this Arsenal-Palace game. And I chose to watch the uh, United-Norwich game and the Tottenham, uh, uh, Tottenham-Liverpool game because I thought Javier would be on and he'd be able to talk about Arsenal a bit more. But... I saw those two goals were from set pieces, and I thought that doesn't really answer any of my questions about how Arsenal are going to attack this Crystal Palace team. It definitely helps them in securing a result and and getting a win like they have so many times this year behind bad performances, even at home. But uh, by no means did I think Palace were completely out of it. And I mean, I, I'm happy they proved me right, but there's a bit of a sour taste when you see that overturned VAR goal uh, which I think the final decision was that Chambers, who was on the ball, fouled uh, either Cahill or Tompkins, who he was fighting for the ball with. That was the that was the reason that VAR and the video assistant referees gave for overturning that goal. When I think in most people's minds, it was Chambers who was the one who was being fouled. And if it's a penalty for Arsenal, then you just don't call it and you just keep the Socrates goal chalked on. So it's there's there's no really good reason to take that goal away especially when you think i mean especially when you think of the huge precedent they've set for not overturning things unless it's clear and obvious and there is nothing clear and obvious about whatever happened in that scrum in front of goal but you know what's clear and obvious is that socrates scored a goal and it was the 84th minute maybe palace get back into it but it felt pretty decisive at the time and it felt like it felt like that aston villa game where they they were down one nil and then two one uh, and then one three two in the last couple minutes it's it felt like that and then all of a sudden they had drawn two two and it, 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 that honestly feels more like a loss than anything at that point throwing away a two goal lead and having a, a goal a perfectly good goal disallowed right at the end man that's 
it's a backbreaker. And I mean, I'm still completely unaware going into the, these next couple games that they've got against Wolves and Leicester before the next international break. I'm still completely unaware of whether there's any sort of inclination from the Arsenal board over whether they want to fire Emery or not. Everyone else with half a brain seems to think that the only way for them to have a successful season this year is if they do fire Emery right now. But we haven't heard any word yet from or any rumors yet from uh, the Arsenal hires, higher ups. So it's it's hard to say. And they did just invest heavily in players that he wanted. Like they went and brought in Pepe. They brought in. Um, they, they bring in Ceballos on loan. They bring in. Um, but in any they, in any they, way, they have they have. He's on the last year of his contract, so those players. Like, I feel like they're not like just Umra, like Emery players. They're those are players that like Pepe will stay for years, regardless yeah. of who the manager is. Is this this is year? Year two of a two year deal. I did not know it was only two years. That's really smart by them. By them, yeah. Because I mean, obviously, is. if they'd done well their first year, they would have locked them up. For, like you have to think, if they win the Europa League and they go to Champions League, then maybe they extend him like another year, just because they got back to Champions. No, they probably they probably year. give him like a three year deal. They probably yeah. just say, "Oh, okay, he succeeded. Let's give him a new deal." But. Yeah, at any other truly big club, if you lose to one of your biggest rivals in a European final 4-1 and you get just completely smacked off the field, you're getting fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like on top yep. of not achieving any of the goals. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to ask you a quick Crystal Palace question before we move on. The answer is yes. Crystal, pa- <laughs> Crystal Palace find themselves in sixth place. They're five points out of a uh, Champions League spot. Yes, they can get a Champions League spot. That's my answer. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Of course. Um, realistic ceiling 10 games into the season now for Palace. We're 4-3-3 three, and three in the year. It's lower than their current position, I'll tell you that. Um, like we just said with Tottenham. I know Tottenham are around there somewhere, probably a little bit lower than Palace. Uh, United. They are 11. We'll get to in a second. Yeah. So those teams... Uh, you know they'll, they'll go through ba- a couple bad spots themselves, but Palace are a team that I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like there's they're working to improve on anything. I feel like this is what they are, and I, I don't think they'll necessarily get figured out as the season goes on. It's just hard to really keep that momentum if you're like a like a mid-table team, you know? Because like, what are you really working towards? There's a point in every season where players on teams like Crystal Palace and Bournemouth. They, and normally Watford, uh, when they play well at the beginning of a the season, they let off a little bit when that that uh, relegation threat is kind of dissipating, and the results start to fall off a little bit. Then and they drift back towards tenth, eleventh, twelfth. That, that's probably that will be until there's a huge uh, difference in their transfer approach and, and managers that they bring in. That that'll be their their ceiling, I think, for the near future. I think maybe eighth, but also, I mean, you still have like West Ham who are good, Wolves are good, Leicester United. I think eighth place is probably like a realistic target for them this year. But let's move on. We'll jump to Burnley, who lost 2-4 to Chelsea. The Pulisic hat-trick goals in the 21st, 45th, and 56th. William got in on the action in the 58th. Jay Rodriguez in the 86th. And Dwight McNeil in the 89th. Pulisic is Chelsea's youngest ever to score a hat-trick, beating out Tammy Abraham from his hat-trick last month. Uh, natural hat-trick, too. Left foot, right Perfect foot in. Hat-trick. Yeah, yeah. Perfect hat trick. Everyone's got different names for it, but the one I've heard the most is the perfect hat trick. 
it's pre- pretty good from a kid for from pencil Hershey, Pennsylvania. Not bad. Not, Not bad at all. I mean, none of us expected this. I I would struggle to find the biggest Christian Pulisic fan, and we're in America, so I feel like we can find There's plenty. A lot of us. Uh, I would struggle to find a Pulisic fan that would have predicted a hat trick at any point of this season. Uh, one of my one of my few criticisms of him is that during his time at Dortmund, he never really showed like a real inclination uh, to go for goal consistently enough to really give himself a chance at a hat trick. But boy, he's he's just become so much more direct under Lampard, and you know he's not completely changed as a player. He's uh, it's just more things of his approach, more things to do with his approach more. Uh, when we've seen him in lim- limited minutes this season, where he's he's taking a few more chances, being more decisive when he when he does take those chances, like believing in himself to do a step over outside of the box, and rather than try to pick out Tammy Abraham for the assist, instead just goes for goal through two or three players and just has the confidence to get to score and finish perfectly on that on that first one when it looked like the chance had almost gone. Uh, and then just to come back again uh, minutes later in the at the end of the first half, uh, off that Willian uh, win back high up the field, he just picks up the ball and he could have laid it off. He could have played in Mason Mount or tried to play in Tammy Abraham, but instead he just gets onto his better right foot and just powers it at goal and gets the lucky deflection. I, I'm not going to try and say that he's going to continue some kind of this form. I don't really want or need that from him. I think just being this decisive and this confident in his decisions is uh, the way forward to him being like a huge contributor for this team. And uh, I mean, the other major point I wanted to make about Chelsea in this game is that I'm not sure if I've made this one before in recent weeks, maybe about like the senior players, but just the competition for places where realistically every area of the field now, Chelsea have... Behind City and Liverpool, I think we have the deepest squad uh, in the league. Uh, you can pick two, two or three players probably for every position uh, that have been playing well enough to deserve at least a chance. So when you do get that chance and Hudson Odoi is rested after playing or starting three games in a row, to come in and score a hat trick, that's how you nail your name into that, that, that team sheet. And he's going to stay in there until he has a bad game starting. And Hudson Odoi or someone like that comes in off the bench and scores or plays well too. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. And the most important thing is to not not to take too much from any uh, seemingly bad runs of form from any player in this team, even Pulisic. If he drops off and another player steps in, that's just another it's just laying down another marker for Pulisic to work towards and and come in and do something crazy like this again. The motivation's just been it's been perfectly managed by Frank. I'm so happy with how he's managed this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I was always frustrated that Pulisic went to Chelsea because this meant I had to watch Chelsea and root for him to be in opportunities to succeed. And I think the biggest thing that Chelsea is doing to him is it's making him earn his minutes because you've got Hudson Odoi, Pedro, Willian, and Pulisic all competing for two spots. And competition breeds the Mason best. Mason Mount too. Mason Mount too. So five players, two spots. And like I said, competition breeds the best. And if he wants to be, you know, the captain of the United States and take this team to World Cups, he needs to be pushed to be the best week in, week out. And like I said on the pod a couple weeks ago, new player, new squad, new cultures. 
There's a lot to take in. I'm just excited that it happened. I, like I was, I was excited that he got a goal. I yeah. was feeling overjoyed when he got a brace. Can I tell to you? See him get a hat trick. Like, can I tell you though that first goal, Andrew? The only thing I can equate the feeling to that I got when Pulisic scored, he runs to the corner and he slides and he lets out this like guttural scream of like relief and excitement. Like he's happy, obviously, but it, it was just so much like relief because of the big price tag, because of the run of no game time, let, let alone being on the bench. She was getting excluded from squads for three or four games in a row. And Frank came out and explained why, but to score in that moment on his first like real start back in a Premier League game uh, as early as he did, it it made me feel things that I've only really felt about like the academy players this year. Like I was so ha- like he he almost feels like one of the academy players because he's the same age as Tammy and like a little bit older than Mason Mount. I've been watching him since he was seventeen. You see a lot of him here, obviously living in America, and people have really high hopes for him. And I was re- I was obviously excited when they signed, but it's kind of been. It's kind of been overshadowed by all of these academy players that Chelsea fans are 100% hyped to get their chances. He's kind of been overshadowed by them when we all were very excited a few months ago when Chelsea signed him and it and this whole like youth uh, in, in, in like this youth explosion wasn't really on the cards yet. So to see him do that, it, it almost feels like one of the, like Tammy scoring a hat trick at Wolves. It almost feels like that. No, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's, I feel like too, it's like the dam breaking, like he's going to get so much confidence off of this. He's going to be, you know, sometimes you see this in, in, in football all the time where like the guy who just can't score. And then the second he scores the next game, he scores again, or the game after that, he has like a crazy assist, and it just gives him more of a chance of a, like, Oh, he's um, starting um, the next, he's yeah. starting the next league game. Yeah. He's officially ahead of Callum Hudson Odoi. Like that's what a hat trick at Burnley, by no means a bad team and a tough place to go to. That's what that will do for him, and he's he's earned that. I still think Hudson Odoi is the more talented player, and eventually I want to see those two play together at some point uh, for a run of games. But Williams not doing anything to deserve being left out of the team sheet too, and he's the senior player, so it's going to be William on the right and one of Pulisic and Hudson Odoi on that left side with Pedro's probably playing, I don't know, some Champions League games and some League Cup games. So uh, Pedro's the ones that, that's really on the outside looking in. But Pulisic and Hudson-Odoi have created a really good little mini uh, competition for that second wing spot that's driving or pushing both of them towards great things. Are you worried at all about the two goals that came late in the game? Uh, no, I just think that's the difference between Liverpool and Manchester City and us, which, you know, it's... To be expected, and uh, if, if anything, uh, I, I think it helps keep the feet on, a gr- on the ground a little bit. Sure, would I love Chelsea to go and win four nil at Burnley? Yeah, I would love that. But that's what that's what the really great teams did—the teams that were winning uh, the the league all the time and were challenging for the Champions League every year. That's not this current team. This current team still is working towards that. So, realistically, it, it, it it's not that surprising. All right, cool. Let's move over. Plus, they were to- bangers. Did you see Rodriguez's goal? Yeah. <laughs> that was filthy. That's the I best was, goal I've was- seen scored against Chelsea since uh, uh, maybe Henderson's goal. Oh, yeah, Mo Salah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
Uh, let's move over to the Manchester clubs. I know we're running, we're running a little long today, but I really don't care. Norwich win. <coughs> Norwich lose three one to Manchester United. McTominay, Rashford, and Martial. Uh, Hernandez getting a goal back for Norwich late in the game. Uh, Rashford and Martial both have penalties saved by Tim Kroll. What a day for the VAR referee. I felt like the 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 first Rashford penalty I thought was I feel like they got that wrong upon what I feel like David James bodied the other guy and because he took out the other guy he also fell over and they called it as a penalty which made no sense to me. Uh, the handball on the Martial penalty, which was also saved, was def- was a handball that VAR caught. But uh, Manchester United are only like four points out of the top four. I don't know if that means that they're back. I don't think that they are. But it's a good away win. I think it was their first away win since PSG. Like I, I United are seven points from the top four. They're four places from the top four, but seven that's points what it back. Is. Um, yeah, I mean the the, the obviously important thing here is that Martial's back and Rashford isn't playing injured anymore. There were a few weeks there where Martial has, well, a few months that Martial's been out um, and Rashford had basically been forced, and this is something that's happened throughout his career at United, but Rashford has been forced to like play basically like half injured to give them some sort of relatively experienced uh, frontline player. But if Rashford is your only experienced uh, forward player, then as we've seen in the last few weeks, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, so Martial comes back into the fold. They obviously have a really great understanding that you see for Martial's goal, the third one. Uh, and Daniel James continues to impress with the the nice ball in behind for Rashford to get onto and, and finish for the the second. So there's, there's, they're like Tottenham in that I'm starting to see glimpses. Um, I I need to take a look at their schedule to see what like games they have coming up soon to really predict any sort of like ascendance coming soon. Um, but I, I think it's going to be more of a slow but steady progression towards the end of the season, kind of like how Sir Alex Ferguson liked to shape United's season when he was the manager. Obviously, he's the biggest influence on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, uh, that Solskjaer played under. And he used to harp on over and over again every season that it didn't matter how badly they may have started a season. His whole aim was to round into form and round into shape for the second half of the season when it feels like so many other teams are just sort of like petering out or running out of energy and running out of momentum. He wants his United team humming at that period. I think that's something like what Solskjaer wants by the end of this season. That's probably what's been keeping him in the job so far. He's probably probably said to uh, the higher-ups early on in the season, it's probably going to be a struggle at first, but we're going to round to the form at the end of the season, and we're going to get top four right at the end. So, All right, here's here's their next few games, okay? You got Chelsea in the League Cup on Wednesday, Bournemouth away, uh, Partizan uh, at home, Brighton, Sheffield, Estania. They could maybe Ooh, with the- that trip is to Astana, uh-huh. six thousand miles away. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that's a, and then a, they, a long way away. Then they, yeah, that's not they, that tough of a run. They come back to host Aston Villa at home on the game after that to start December. Yeah. Okay. They have. This is the run of games. This is the run of games yeah. that you get yourself back into. Like, if not touching distance, maybe even if you can get healthy quick enough. Maybe even back into top four. Right, I'm not going to predict that. I'm not going to predict that because we just found no. out the Pogba is out until December. I think so. We'll be tough. Yeah, they need him. They need him. Uh, all right, Manchester City, three 0 over Aston Villa. 
Raheem Sterling just moments into the second half. David Silva off a ball from Kevin De Bruyne that we maybe that maybe thought could have been Kevin De Bruyne. It wasn't. And then Gundogan five minutes after that. Fernandinho second yellow card in the 87th minute. He was starting it as a defender in this game, so that's not good. John Stones is back, but I don't know if you saw the line from Pep after the game. He said if we play like they like if we played like we do in the first half, we would be a team that got relegated, which I think is just Pep being an incredible douchebag because <laughs> I I didn't watch all the game, but I watched highlights and it's like, dude, shut the fuck up because you were nowhere near relegated in the first half. There was a Gabriel yeah. Jesus chance that was like, come on, like 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 not many no, other strikers but, in the league could do that. Here's the thing: you can you can go back literally a week ago to Klopp reacting about the uh, the Origi foul and the build up to United's goal. And you can draw a comparison where both of these managers are trying to find ways to motivate their teams and to conjure a feeling and an atmosphere that things aren't perfect, things aren't going that well. Uh, and that's like the very like base level of it. But Klopp is trying to do this us against the world thing with Liverpool. And Pep is trying to do this we're not always perfect thing with City because for so much of the past two or three years – it seemed like they're perfect and unstoppable. So every chance or every slither of uh, a bad game or a bad moment that they, that Pep gets, he's going to use that as motivation to tell his team, you're not perfect. That whole first half, you were terrible. You would get relegated if you played like that for a whole season. And he probably said that to them at halftime, and that's what got them to come out and just punch Aston Villa right in the mouth one minute into the second half. Um, so, yeah, I mean, business as usual for City. I... You know the Villa Villa aren't as bad as I, I thought they were going to be coming into this season. They may even have a they probably do have a better chance of staying up than uh, Norwich do, uh, who I was picking before the season to to, to stay up. So um, I, that's something I learned from this game that Villa aren't as hopeless as I originally thought they were. And that's and that's a good thing. Um, they definitely had a couple chances in this game. Ederson made a couple big saves. The biggest question for me still, I mean, and the thing is City will be will be fine because of the way they play with their midfield and their forwards, but uh, Fernandinho missing their next game against Southampton is probably okay because they'll play Eric Garcia in that game, but... I think he's missing or, 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 the, the, the Carabao Cup game, too. Yeah. Because they well, play it's, Southampton, it's Southampton at home Southampton. twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I... I didn't get that one wrong, see? No, um, I didn't. I but, didn't say you did. I just... I think I met, uh, someone in the uh, the commentator said, "Oh, he'll miss next weekend's game against Southampton for that second yellow." And I was like, "Nah, he's just going to miss the midweek Carabao Cup game against Southampton." Against Southampton, which they're going to wax Southampton. Over under eight goals in those two games. Oh, oh, I would give you uh, eight. I would have given you ten. No, no, I'm trying to be a little respectful, but <laughs> uh, uh, Southampton uh, just gave up nine goals at home to Leicester. Speaking, they don't of deserve segues. respect. <laughs> They don't deserve respect. Speaking their of entire, perfect segues. <laughs> their entire team just gave up their salary for the week and donated to the Southampton charity because they didn't feel like they deserved to get paid Yeah, because uh, they lost 9 nothing at home. Yeah, it's... To be fair, and again, this isn't... Actually, you know, not, not again. This, this is an excuse, but it, it, it kind of makes it understandable. I mean, getting... Getting scored on the first ten minutes, and then after the goal had been given, the referee gets the call from VAR that in the build-up to Leicester's goal, Ryan Bertrand had a high boot on one of the Leicester players 
I think it was Perez. And you get not only a goal conceded, but your left back and probably one of your better players sent off for the remainder of the game against a team that's humming as much as Leicester are right now. Like they just smell all of the blood and they just, they just came to rip that carcass apart. And that, that I, I couldn't believe it. I was sitting at work. I didn't bother watching cause it was a Friday felt, afternoon I, and I yeah. won that bet in two minutes in like five minutes. <laughs> I had, I had I had Lester I had Lester at plus one thirty five and that get, that hit in ten minutes and then Tillman scored seventeen minutes later I was out shopping for a Halloween costume and I saw at halftime it was five nothing I was like I was gonna race home to try to watch this to hopefully see yeah. my to see my bet hit I think that's what went and, through my head too when I saw they were down Southampton were down to ten men and I saw it was three nil when I first checked the score uh, after it had started and that was what like twenty minutes in they were up three nil. I just thought to myself, well, like, well, well, there's no point in watching this now. I, I should have. There were six more goals to enjoy. And I know you mentioned it in the uh, the intro that this was the lar- the biggest away win uh, in, in you said Premier League history. I wrote in our uh, in our rundown all time English top flight history. It's the biggest away win. So. This isn't like most of the time when you hear them say, oh, it's a Premier League record. That's only 19. That's as old as I am. That's 1992 Mm -hmm. to now. It's my lifetime. This is like the hundred like 20, no, 150 years of professional top flight, top flight uh, English football. I mean, there's obviously been bigger results in lower leagues, but in the top, the first division, this is the the biggest away win. This it's a huge statement. By not only Leicester City, but their manager, Brendan Rodgers. And uh, it goes off of that Newcastle win they had a few weeks ago under kind of similar circumstances where Newcastle got a player sent off 20 or 30 minutes in. And they go on to win that game 5-0 after being 1-0 up when the the player got sent off. We, We thought that was a statement. Going away to Southampton and really putting the beat down on them is a real statement. It kind of puts Chelsea's 4-1 to shame. <laughs> Brendan <laughs> Rodgers Roger said at halftime to go to keep going at them when they were already up 5 0. Yeah, that's, I mean, we know that's what Rogers is like. He's been doing that to teams in Scotland for the past like three years, just having Celtic just bulldoze everyone. So why wouldn't he instill that same belief and confidence in, in his own team? It doesn't. They also, if they've shown that they can beat like the top teams in the Premier League. They can absolutely trounce some of the top teams in the Premier League when they're when they're playing well, so it it makes a lot of sense. And I'm starting to feel good about. I mean, I feel really good about that Leicester to be the team that breaks into the top six. But I'm starting to feel good about that that like throwaway comment a few weeks into the season that Leicester might even get top four. I, I, I don't think I, I had the balls to like good. predict it, but I was just saying at that time like. If anyone's got the confidence and like the their fans have the belief that they could do it, it's Leicester. They've seen crazier things than this. They yeah, they they really have. They have all the pieces. And and, and that was Perez's first goals for Leicester in the Premier League this year. Switch so that's that's good. Um now you got he scored he scored another hat trick for Newcastle against Southampton earlier this calendar year in the second half of last season. So he's got six goals against Southampton in two league games in the year two thousand nineteen. Let's get him in your fantasy team next time he plays Southampton, guys. That's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. We usually do bets on Thursday's pod, but I pulled up the FanDuel Sportsbook real quick. You could get Leicester right now 
to do a top four finish still at plus 140. Uh, it's not as good as I – man, we got to go back and look at what it was before the season. I'm going to be upset about that. <laughs> You can't. Was they it even on they, offer before the season? Has, has, they I won't know when it was started to be on offer. They, uh, they, they. I mean, they'll let you do futures whenever. Like you could get it. Everybody, ex- once you hit after Aston Villa, Aston Villa, Brighton, Burnley, Newcastle, Norwich, Sheffield, Southampton, Watford, all are all at plus ten thousand right now. Um, right, it's not happening. Right, uh, they won't let you place a bet for Manchester City or Liverpool. Uh, Chelsea's at minus 240, Leicester's at plus 140, Arsenal plus 150, Tottenham plus 190, United at plus 300, and that's when it takes a huge drop, Wolves at plus 2300. How about this, to put it into context, I'm more confident of Leicester maintaining this form for a longer period of time than I am of Chelsea doing the same thing and getting top four. There's obviously a bunch of reasons for that that we've talked about before, but Leicester, all they're concerned with is Getting back to that top four, I guess. They had a they had a taste of Champions League and they want back in. They made the signings to get them there. All right, well that's gonna wrap it up for us here. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Pissarro, at ASMOS92, at Javier Rev9, at Ghost Gold Pod. Like, review, subscribe, share, uh, tell your friends, throw it in the Instagram story. Help us get it out there. And until later in the week. Bye.